Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi there, welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast where women can share their experiences with pregnancy and birth, a space created solely for women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. In this week's episode, I chat to Jessica and she talks me through her pregnancy and the birth of her son, Louis. Jessica is an Australian native and she married an Irish man, so she moved over here in 2017. She talks me through how she used hypnobirthing to guide her through her pregnancy and birth and also how... COVID affected her um, so I'll let her tell you all those details and I just want to remind you of the Olaf giveaway on our Instagram page there's an amazing set of beautiful bags there so I just wanted to remind you about that and also that Jessica actually has recently started a podcast with her sister called The Hood Pod so I will link that and also the Instagram page so you can enter the Olaf competition hope you enjoy this week's episode Jessica, you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. If you want to just start by giving us a little introduction to you and your family. Okay, so um, you, yes, you can tell from my accent, I'm not from these parts. I'm Australian from Melbourne um, and my husband and I lived over there together. We met in 2008. He was in Australia on a working visa and we met over there and we lived there together until 2017, made multiple trips back to Ireland together just as a visit to his family and everything, and then um, decided to make the move in 2017. So we got here uh, 1st of December, 2017, and we'd been married since 2012. So I guess we were reaching that point where we were sort of like, oh gosh, what's what's next you know we've lived this life just the two of us for a long time and um I'd say my husband was probably more ready to start a family than than I was um and I think when we first moved it was just such a big um process that we'd been through I just really wanted to settle for a bit before we sort of went down that path and travel a little bit as well so we um we planned this trip uh in Europe for May 2018 and I said you know after we've done that trip I think then I'd be open to like whatever happens happens you know so we went on this trip in May um and we got we got back after two and a half weeks or so and I was like hang on a minute I I was supposed to like get my period the the second week of that that trip I'm sure um so I like checked my my records and I was like yep I was um went out and got a pregnancy test and, um, and it was like, 
within 30 seconds it had gone to positive. So I was just like, oh my goodness. I, just because I hadn't consciously gone there, it like in my, in my head, I just, and when we went on that trip, I thought, actually thought I was too far along in my cycle to even, I was like, no, we're, we're good on this trip. We can just go and enjoy ourselves and it doesn't matter. But I just obviously had got my calculations wrong or something, but, um, yeah, so I just came out. Were you using, were you on the pill or anything in that? Or were you used? No, no. Yeah. We were just, yeah. Sort of being mindful, I guess, about the time of the month and that kind of thing, because we were, if we got pregnant, we, we would have been overjoyed. It's just not something we were consciously sort of trying for, um, which I know is incredibly lucky. I have lots of friends that struggle to get pregnant. And if we ever try for another one, we could struggle then as well. So well aware of um, how blessed we are that it it ended up happening the way it did. But yeah, my husband was shocked as well, but we were just um, delighted, um, a little bit terrified. Uh, I think especially just not having my family around and I have five sisters um, and I'm really close with my mum and I think it was just overwhelming at the beginning as well because you want all your people around you and sharing in that joy with them and um, so it was tough from that perspective. But um, Had you built up any friendships here in that space of time because what you were here for four or five months? Yeah, not a huge, uh, not a huge amount of friends. So I had friends through my husband Mm. um, who I'd met over many years. So that was great, but I hadn't sort of established my own group, like my own people. Um, And then that didn't really come until I had Louie. And that's when, you know, you make, I think you make more connections when, when you have a child. Um, So, yeah, I guess um, not, it didn't feel real probably until we went for that first scan because, you know, nothing, I didn't experience a huge amount of morning sickness initially either. So you're kind of waiting for those signs to feel like something's changing in your body. So um, I, I guess I looked into um, care options uh, and decided to go with the Domino oh, service yeah. through the Coombe um, because it was sort of, I think it was halfway between, um, I actually entertained the idea of a home birth initially, but I, I was just probably a little bit too scared being my first pregnancy and, um, and in a new country yeah. and things like that. So, um, so I did want sort of hospital options there, but um, I felt like this was a great in-between because it was, you're dealing with midwives, there's a focus on like as little intervention as possible, um, which is, is what I envisaged for myself. Um, when I had, when I decided to have children, that's sort of always the way that I planned on doing as little intervention as possible. And, um, and also they've got the option that if you have an uncomplicated birth and, you know, everyone's doing okay, you can like go home Mm. within 24 hours, which, oh my gosh, that would have been amazing. I hate hospitals and, um, yeah, so I went with that option and had my first scan at the estimated 12-week mark um, and went in for that and everything was okay, but they couldn't get a clear picture of his uh, skull. And I think at that, at that scan, they want to see the, that the skull sort of 
closing over a bit and um, they couldn't see that. So they asked me to come back in two weeks and I do have some health related anxiety. So as soon as there was any um, doubt put in my mind, I mean, I could not think about anything else mm. for the, the two weeks and it was, I was physically sick, like vomiting, not from morning sickness, just from like, if something is wrong with this child, like I'm, I, I will not cope, you know? Um, but thankfully when we went back a couple of weeks later, um, everything showed up okay. Mm. And, um, yeah, and he, and it was fine. And it, oh gosh, just so grateful for that. Um, for that moment I could, it was like, I finally, it was the first time I probably fully let myself experience just joy and no worry. Um, because in that moment, everything was perfect. So yeah, that was just a wonderful, um, that second scan was wonderful. Um, and then going on from that, um, I had a relatively uneventful pregnancy, which again, really lucky. Like I didn't have a lot of morning sickness or anything. I felt nausea on and off, but, um, nothing extreme or anything like that. Uh, I'm just thinking it must have been so difficult. Sorry, just while you're chatting there, it must have been so difficult for you to go through those two weeks without your support network here. You know, it must yeah. have been hard. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, it definitely heightened the anxiety. Yeah. Like my husband was amazing. He was incredible. But you have your sort of grounding forces yeah. and I I don't just have my husband. Like I have my, my sisters and my mom and my close friends and, um, and you also, I felt like this would happen all the time. And even the midwife reassured me this happens, you know, this happens all the time. Sometimes we can't see everything and we need you to come back. And, um, so I felt silly kind of voicing that fear that I was experiencing because I, I knew, I kind of knew it was an overreaction. Um, but, it, but at the same time, it was very real. Not on your part. Did you feel it? Was it? Yeah. You felt it was an overreaction on your part. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. But but I couldn't but I couldn't stop it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my logic was telling me everything's gonna be okay. The midwife, the ultrasound technician was telling you this happens all the time. Like, but I, I just have that anxious mind at times that overthinks, overanalyzes. And so even though I kind of my logical self was saying, just breathe, it's most likely all fine. Um the anxious side of me just couldn't um, mitigate, you know, the symptoms of the anxiety. So, um, yeah. So I was, I was just so relieved once I yeah. got that go ahead and, and for, for the rest of the pregnancy, I think I, I held on to that, that gratitude um, for everything, for how uneventful it was, for how well I felt um, throughout, because I had like one of my sisters was sick, the whole way through all her pregnancies, literally from beginning to end, vomiting every day. And um, yeah, so I knew, I'd seen that and I was just so happy that um, and grateful that um, I didn't have to experience that. So um, I guess throughout the pregnancy, I just focused on um, getting ready and what, you know, ideally how I would want 
um, the birthing experience to go and that kind of thing, even though I knew I couldn't really plan it. So I just enrolled in um, hypnobirth uh, classes. So I was hoping that, you know, that would keep me calm no matter which way it went. Um, Because, you know, I'm a Virgo, very much like to be in control. And I knew this is the one time Mm. you have to surrender and you just have to let it happen, whatever way it's going to happen. So I knew I needed to work on that (laughs) with hypnobirthing. Um, And I had a a wonderful um, midwife give us those classes who was actually, when I was listening to your podcast, did you have Brenda? Oh, Brenda, yeah. um, Was Brenda your other support? Yeah. 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 So she did our hypnobirth classes. Oh yeah. She's fantastic, isn't she? She just has a really, really nice nature. Yeah. Oh, such a good nature. The information about the hypnobirthing was incredible, but just also giving you information about your body autonomy and the rights that you have as as a person yeah. in labour, that that the the plan has to be centred around you and you have the right to ask for that, um, which I'm so glad I was armed with that, that information <laughs> that's towards the end of my pregnancy. Um, she was just, yeah, she was fantastic. I would definitely recommend her to, to anyone mm. looking into hypnobirthing. Um, she was wonderful. She really placed the the dads at, you know, you have a huge support role in this and it's so important. It's just as important, um, the role that you're playing. And I loved that about her way of teaching as well. It was so cool. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so glad that I went through her. That was a great experience. Um, and it just put me in a really good frame of mind um, leading up to the the birth as well not just for the birth itself, but um, all the aspects leading up to it, grieving the life that you're leaving behind as well, because that's a huge part of preparing for a new baby too. Um, and I was really lucky that uh, my some of my family came over in December 2018. Yeah. So I was due Valentine's Day 2019. My family, some of them had already planned on coming for Christmas in 2018. So they continued with that trip and my mum actually extended hers and stayed until after I had um, the baby as well, until after I had Louis, which was great. So I got to spend December with my side of the family and I think it just gave me the extra um, bit of love and support that, that everyone needs before going into that situation. I'm lucky that I'm close with my husband's family, but nothing compares to having like your own family with you at that special time. Um, So I was so grateful. My sister, her husband, their four kids and my mum all flew over um, and stayed with us, which was, yeah, fantastic. And so after they left, mum stayed and she helped us uh, get, get the nursery ready and that kind of thing. I mean, nursery... Louis was in with us for five months, but still like getting all the bits and pieces together. And, um, and it made me realize how much I didn't know. Like I'd worked in childcare for eight years and I, but when it comes to bringing a baby home and all the bits and pieces you need, it's like far out. There's actually so much. <laughs> I don't know. I was so happy to have my mum there. Cause she's like, you need this, you need that. I had not thought about it whatsoever. Um, and just to bond with her when I finished work those last few weeks, like just to spend that extra time with her. I hadn't seen her in over a year. So 
uh, it was fantastic. And then, um, yeah, so I, I just um, really enjoyed that time with my mum. And I knew I tried every day to remind myself how special it was that she was there um, with me because that's a huge thing. Like mum's 70 it's, she was, she loves being at home in her house and she left her home for four and a half months to be with me. Like it was huge. Um, and yeah, gosh, I just loved having her there with us. And she came to those last few appointments with me, you know, start getting checked every week at, um, at the hospital. And it was so great to just be able to nip up to NACE hospital around the corner rather than having to go into Dublin. I loved that as well. Um, so I kept doing that until I was 41 weeks. I had my last appointment right before 40 weeks at NACE. And then they made my next one, obviously up at the Coombe with a consultant. So it ended up being 41 plus one when I went in there. And I was just hoping at that point, I thought maybe do I let them do a sweep if, if, if I'm there, if I'm, thereabouts um so I'd kind of thought about that and I was like well look I guess I'll just wait and see what she says when she checks me out so I went in and she gave me an exam and she said um you're in no way dilated like not remotely um and she said there is no way you're going to go into labor naturally and let's book you in for an induction. Um, And this was on a Friday and she said, we can book you in to come in um, on Monday, I think she said. Um, And this is when I was so glad that I'd had hypnobirth classes with Brenda because she'd talked to me about that I, I was within my rights. If I was healthy and baby was healthy, I was within my rights to wait the full 14 days after my due date before being induced. Um, and so I said that to her, I said, look, if, if we're okay, I'm, I'm happy to wait the full two weeks, um, before being induced, I'd actually prefer to let my body do its thing naturally. Um, and if I get to two weeks and it hasn't happened for sure, do whatever you've got to do. And if anything changes with the baby or with me and it becomes like medically necessary, absolutely. Whatever you've got to do. But for the moment, there's no need medical there's no medical reason to do it and she was like okay if that's what you want to do but she's like you're not like your cervix is she said that it was really far back and just not in any way dilated she's like this is what we see in someone that's sort of at least a couple of weeks away from giving birth I was like okay well I'd still rather just wait as long as I can and she said all right so I went home on the Friday and she tentatively booked me in for the following Tuesday, I think to be induced because that was going to be 41 and six days or something like that. And I thought, well, look, did that trigger your anxiety then when they said that you weren't? No, I think I was just at a point of like, do you know what? I've, I'm giving my body every opportunity. And if it's meant to happen Mm. that way, it will happen that way. And if it, doesn't it doesn't I was shocked myself that I wasn't feeling anxious because normally that anything like that anything unsettling or outside of what I want in in terms of medical issues would 
just send me to pieces. But there was just something just washed over me. Like, I just have to go with this. And I said, look, worst comes to worst, I get induced next week and we have our baby by next weekend. Like, how can I be upset when I know by next weekend at the latest, I'm going to be looking at our child's face. Um, so I kind of just threw it up. I was like, okay, whatever happens. And now we, we know what the, what the plan is if I don't go naturally. So then Saturday, the next day, my husband and I were like, well, let's go out for dinner because we, it's probably the last time we can. So we went out for dinner Saturday night, got back pretty early, 10 o'clock, went to bed straight away, I think. And I just, I was restless, couldn't sleep. My mind was in overdrive. Two o'clock in the morning, I go up to the bathroom and I've got, like, I've started showing. And literally like 30 hours after the consultant had said, there's no way you're going naturally. And she didn't do a sweep then, did she? No, because she said she couldn't because I wasn't at all dilated. And they can only do a sweep if you've started dilating. So nothing had been done because she couldn't. Um, There was nothing there to work with, essentially. Yeah, yeah, so then I I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was almost like instantly I started feeling like back, lower back pain. And um, I got back into bed and I thought, you know, I remember Brenda saying, if it's middle of the night, try and go back to sleep. And, but I was just so excited at that point. I was like this, I think this is it. I didn't know because I've never done it before, but I was like, I think this is something. Um, I didn't wake my husband. I was like, no, I'm going to need him. So I'm going to let him sleep. And um, so for probably the next four or five hours, um, it was just like sort of a dull ache in my back wasn't really surges or anything it was just sort of your general period pain type sensation um and yeah I guess from about very early morning maybe six or seven I started feeling more sort of regular surges maybe and they were pretty close together even at the start like maybe five minutes or something but very dull very very dull um so I woke my husband up and uh, oh, he sort of stirred and I was like, I think something's happening. <laughs> He's like, really? Like, yes. Somehow he was able to go back to sleep again for a couple of hours. I just couldn't. I did not get a wink of sleep. Um, and so he ended up getting up and making me some, like a bit of toast or something like that and a cup of tea. And then by about 10 o'clock in the morning, they were a little bit more uncomfortable and probably on average about three minutes apart. So we rang the hospital at that point just to see what to do. And um, the midwife basically said, you're talking to me on the phone. So you're not, (laughs) yeah, you're not anywhere near going. So just stay at home until, you know, it's really intense. It's definitely going to ramp up a bit. I was like, okay, that's fine. Happy to stay at home as long as possible. Um, and then after that, it was like back to back. I did not, no time between contractions at all. They were still, um, bearable, but definitely getting more intense. And I think I was just more shocked that there wasn't a break in between them, that they were just back to back. So about 1230, we rang the hospital again and I said, and I said, I know I'm still talking, but there's no break between these at all. And she said, 
if the pain isn't, you know, making you feel like you're going to collapse. She said, look, you need to ultimately determine it yourself. But when you come in, we want to admit you. So the longer you can stay at home and make sure you're in labour, the better, she was kind of saying. So I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I'll try and hold out a little bit, a bit longer. And then they were so, like, you know, excruciating pain. And I, I had my headphones on. I was trying to listen to the, do my mantras and listen to the birthing prompts. And I had the TENS machine, which did really help okay. for a long time. I'd been using that probably since they started going sort of back to back. Um. And I still didn't have it on the highest setting at that point. I was like, no, I want to save it, thinking that that would like be the magic cure. That would cure. be it. Pain-free. Oh, yeah, no. yeah, I've got one more level. I'm going to hold on to it. And how was your mum throughout um, this? How did she manage seeing you? She was wonderful. She, she kind of left it um, mostly to me and Donna most of the time. But then I think it must have been after that second phone call, I got, I said, can you like bring mum in and you should go and eat or something. I told Donna to go and have some lunch and um, mum was so calm. She was just so calm, such an, a great presence to have with me for that time. And, um, you know, and she'd obviously been, been through it six times herself and then with my sisters as well. Like she, she was in the room for some of my sisters oh, giving birth yeah. to their children yeah, so yeah, it was it, it was great. She did definitely calm me down, and then it was actually when she was in with me, she was like, "I think we need to go to the hospital now." Um, she kind of saw it take a turn, and that it had escalated, and she said to Donna, "I think we need to take her now." And where we were living at the time, I was upstairs. I seriously thought I'm going to give birth to this child on the stairs. And I can't believe I even thought that because once I got to the hospital, I was so nowhere near giving birth, but it felt like he was right there. Um, just, and I think cause it was back to back and I just had no break and I was so tired already. So anyway, we got into the hospital probably at about two o'clock in the afternoon and I got checked straight away and I was in labor, but I was, um, only three centimetres. So I was only just, they apparently only just in active labour then, but I'd been in pretty intense discomfort for several hours. And then she also said, you're, you're in back labour, like baby hasn't oh. turned. So then I understood. And I remember also Brenda saying in hypnobirth classes, you know, back labour is when, even with all the hypnobirthing, it can be very difficult to, you know, I guess, work your way through the discomfort. Um, and I remember thinking that I'm like, it is really hard. It is. <laughs> yep. I don't think I can. I couldn't, I couldn't talk, could not converse. I was just out of this world. I couldn't bring myself back to center. Okay. It was just relentless, no break between in back labor um, but at least I was happy that I, that I could stay and that I was in the birthing suite. And I think I managed to dribble out the words, like, can I stay like as in, in this room? 
she was like, you're not leaving this room. Like you're going to have your baby in this room. Yeah, it was probably a relief to know that that was the last place you were going to be. You didn't have to move again. Yeah. Just try and focus. Yeah. Yeah. I try. Yeah. And from there, I, I just, I mean, noises were coming out of me that I didn't know I could make. Like just those primal. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. guttural I mean you look back at I look back at it now and just think that's in like it blows my mind that our bodies can do that and I feel so empowered by it now um but at the time I was out of my mind you know it's such a foreign experience when you've never done it before um and and Donna was wonderful but he said on the inside he was just like completely broken because he he didn't know what he could do and nothing all the techniques about um you know the touching and things like that that we've done in hypnobirth like none of it because I was in back labor I think none of it worked in a way that it was intended to um anyway we just kept going at it for what felt like an eternity um it was about five hours and she checked me again at seven I think and um I was at six centimeters she said, you're actually progress- progressing quite well and you could be ready to push in an hour or two or you could be ready to push in like another five or six hours. And 
I just knew if there is no way that I can endure this for five or six more hours, I can't. And even if I get to the point of pushing, I'm not going to have anything in the tank mm. to do it. Um, so I was like, epidural, do it. And I just can't believe I never thought that I'd be so readily open to it, but I just knew that that's what I needed yeah. to do in that moment. And, and that's what I asked for. And that's what I got. And it was bloody amazing, I must say. People say that they just have oh. like this peace over them and then they can enjoy it. Like, if that's what you want, you know, if I say no, just yeah. take it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was, um, well, yeah, I guess it had been 2 a.m. till 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. in total, like not in, in extreme pain, but in the total amount of time. And I'd been awake for sort of 30 hours at that point. I was just done. I had nothing left. And um, so had the epidural and then was able to just relax for a bit. And Donna was able to get a bit more sleep. I tried I, again. I just couldn't. And um, and apparently I still kept having back-to-back contractions, which I was really lucky because I've heard the epidurals can really slow everything down. Um Apparently I was still contracting back to back and um, I was, uh, oh no, then I got, then I had a fever. Um, I, I was close to being fully dilated and then I got a fever. So they had to give me some antibiotics. I felt completely fine. I didn't, I didn't feel sick or anything, but I was showing up hot. Um, so they gave me some antibiotics and then I was at, 10 after that and they said um we want you to sit at 10 if we can for an hour to let baby drop a little bit further because he hadn't dropped far enough apparently so that was fine I was happy to do that I'm like geez I've been at it <laughs> that long now whatever what's another hour um but then within about half an hour Louis's heart rate sort of started going up and down so they brought a consultant in and um she said, no, we have to get the baby out now. And she said, I'm going to let you try and push and I'm going to give you one push. And if I can see that he's moving, that the baby's moving down, then I'll let you keep trying. But if if you do give a really good push and nothing's happening, we don't have the time to let you keep trying. So we're going to have to take you to theatre. It was just such a blur. I just couldn't. All I think all I really heard was you have one push mm. and I just attached to that because that I couldn't think beyond that. And um, I was like, I'll just give it everything I've got. And I was so glad I hadn't topped up the um, epidural because I could, I had a little bit of sensation at that point as well, which I think helped me in terms of pushing, like feeling where, where everything was. So I just gave it everything and she said, okay, I can see the baby moving. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of time to do this. And, and he was out in 15 minutes. Oh, you gave it um, everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They used, they used forceps to help in the end okay. as well. Um, just to move it along. Um, yeah. And then our whole world changed mm-hmm. in a second and we didn't even ask if it was a boy or a girl. They didn't say if it was a boy or a girl. They just put him on my chest 
and um, we didn't look. I just saw his face and we were crying. And I mean, nothing, you know, you've done it. Like nothing can compare to that moment. It was the best moment of my life and so much relief. I got to hold him for a couple of minutes, but because of his heart rate, they wanted to, you know, check him over and everything. And um, so they took him away for a minute and, um, and I said, hang on, what did we have? <laughs> They're like, did we not say? I'm like, no, you didn't. And they said, well, come over, Dad. Dad, you come over and have a look and you can tell oh, yeah, Jess what, what you've had. <laughs> yeah, so he went over and, and he was like, it's a boy. And he was crying. And, um, oh, gosh, what a, what a special time. Um, just mind-blowing. And I just remember thinking, give him back, give him back, give him back. Um, my legs were shaking. I was obviously like in a bit of shock and, um, oh, and I had an episiotomy too. So, um, the, the doctor was sort of working on me, but I just, all I could think about was bring this boy back to me. And when I finally got him back, he latched straight away and it was just, yeah, absolutely breathtaking um we got to have him with us for a couple of hours but they again because of his heart rate during the end stages of labor and um i think they also his blood sugar had had been a little bit low when they checked him after birth so they wanted to keep him in the um special care ward for a few hours they told me we're going to take him for a few hours just to monitor him and we'll bring him back to you in a few hours. And I okayed it. I was just in such, I was so tired. I couldn't, I just went with it. Um, and then I was taken down to the ward and Donna went home. It was probably five in the morning or something. And I just sat without my son until it ended up being like, one or two o'clock that afternoon and I kept asking questions and they just said you need to rest um so you know he's getting fed up there and but I wanted to breastfeed so I was thinking but I want to be feeding him and they're like but you need to rest and I was like but I can't sleep I can't sleep because my my baby isn't with me I just can't um and I think because it's a different department, there's sort of like a lack of clear communication. So I was asking, well, why is he being kept? Is something wrong? Like, and they said, no, 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 he's fine. We just think you need time to rest. And we just wanted to monitor the sugars a little bit longer. And in the end, when my husband came in that morning, I was like, you need to go and find out what's going on because I need him down here with me. Like I, we need this time together. And, um, yeah, eventually he kind of basically said, bring him down to my wife. Well, he kind of demanded it. Uh, and they did. And I got to have him with me the rest of the time then, which was great. But I really think that time away affected our breastfeeding journey massively. Um, eight, at, for eight weeks, he basically didn't put on any weight. I couldn't get my supply up. He wasn't latching properly. There was just... Um, it was tough going for a while and 
I think at the time I was just so happy to have him with me. I didn't think anything of it. It was only weeks later that I thought that was actually pretty traumatic. And I think when they initially said, we're just going to take him for a couple of hours, I thought, well, a couple of hours I can handle. I don't want to, but I'll do it if I have to do it. But then I'd ask every hour or so and I just wasn't getting the answers and I couldn't walk at that point. Like I was still sort of coming off the epidural and, um, yeah, so I just wasn't able to, I guess, advocate for myself in that moment. Um, and my husband wasn't there, so he couldn't either because I was just on the ward. And then thankfully when he came in, he was able to sort it out for me. But yeah, it did make me reflect on things because initially I'd looked at the whole process as, you know, I can't look at that as a traumatic birth because you know, in the end we were, we were healthy and he, he was safe and delivered and in my arms and, you know, but I think every woman has an element of trauma attached regardless. And that I realized how important it was for me to process my trauma in relation to Louis being taken away for those hours. I was like, I can't pretend that that didn't affect me because it has, um, it's affected our connection in terms of breastfeeding and um, and I guess there was this underlying anxiety when he wasn't there that I brushed to the side when, when he was given back to me. I just sort of brushed those hours away and didn't think about them again for a while. So that was the only negative part of the whole experience was that time where he was away yeah. from me and what I believe the impact it had on our breastfeeding together. Um, but thankfully we got through it. And how were yeah, you physically then after the, the episiotomy and the forceps? I'm sure you were sore. I was, yeah, I was definitely sore for, I mean, the episiotomy, I guess I was sore for maybe two or three weeks, like mm. so terrified every time I sat down. Um, and, you know, even just don't even want to talk about it, but like going to yeah. the bathroom is terrifying. And um, thankfully I didn't have a lot of bleeding afterwards and that kind of subsided after about a week, I think. Um, so that was okay. Um but yeah, the discomfort from the episiotomy and thankfully it healed, it healed really well too. So I didn't get, it well, didn't get infected or anything like that. Um, but certainly had the, the baby blues initially after going home and just, I guess, hormones rushing in and out and trying to find equilibrium again. And, um, and and I think I also thought that I'd have this, that we'd just know each other, that, that me and Louis would just know each other and we'd be in sync and it's going to be this, because everyone says, enjoy this beautiful time. And, but it takes time to get to know your baby and it takes time for your baby to get to know you. And he was a bit colicky as well. And I couldn't comfort him for the first few weeks. And, and also because he was having trouble latching properly and things like that. So, um, 
it, it was an amazing time. It was a beautiful time, but it was far more challenging um, and emotionally taxing than what I ever could have expected. Um, and did you get, did you see a lactation consultant or did you get help then with the breastfeeding? I did. Yeah. I had a lactation okay. consultant come to, and I must say that the midwives that were visiting me at home were exceptional and very, very helpful, but sort of when they're in the room with you and they're helping you latch, that's great. But when they leave, <laughs> you've got to kind of do it all yourself. And I'm like, why can't I do this flip thing anymore into your mouth? Like, why is it not working now? So yeah, I actually completely agree. Yeah, because um, Eva's latch wasn't great, so I was really bruised. And the Anya, the midwife, she came in. She's like, "Do this," and she was amazing. I was yeah. like, "Oh God, that's great now." And then within two seconds, I totally forgot what she'd shown me. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And because you're so tired as well, you need someone to, in the middle of the night, you know, when you're blurry eyed and the baby's mouth is going everywhere, and you're exactly. like, <laughs> "Like, can you come and hold my boob at two o'clock in the morning, please?" Because yeah. Yeah. I can't do this myself. Yeah, it's hard work. It really is. Oh, so hard. And that was like, Mum didn't breastfeed. Mum couldn't breastfeed with any of us. So she, in in that regard, she couldn't offer a lot of support at that time. So except holding me when I cried. <laughs> but, yeah. So I ended up yeah, getting um, an independent um, lactation consultant and yeah, she was wonderful, um, really helpful. I mean, her biggest thing was you need to relax. Like I can see how tense you are because now you feel like you've got a problem breastfeeding. So you're holding all this tension yeah. in your shoulders and you you know, if your body isn't relaxed, then it's not going to happen. Um, and she also advised me to get him and my um, maternal health nurse advised me to get him checked for tongue tie. So I booked in to get him checked for that, but there was a wait time of like three weeks or something with the specialist that I was going to. Um, And by the time we got there, he said, yes, he does have a slight tongue tie. And I'd imagine it was more severe, but he's just stretched it out over time. Yeah. And by that point, by the time the appointment came, we, we just started sort of clicking with breastfeeding and he started putting on weight. So I did kind of feel like we'd turned a corner, but, but that's probably what affected it early on too, is that he had a more of a severe tongue tie and I didn't know. Um, the breastfeeding consultant did say she thought it, it looked like a slight tongue tie, but she couldn't be sure whether that was affecting um, the lat, whether it was severe enough to be affecting the latch. So yeah, I was glad. And she was great in terms of, she said, anytime you need any follow up or whatever, just give me a call and I'm happy to, you know, be in contact with you and give you more advice and things like that. But, um, and how do do you find you got over the baby blues? Did it take you a matter of days or a couple of weeks? Um, it was days. It was days, thankfully. So, um, yeah, I just, I think it was maybe a week after we got home is when I felt like Louis was really unsettled. Um, I think not only was he having trouble breastfeeding, but then he was also refluxy because of it as well. Like maybe with with the latch being off, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but um, I think that's when it hit me. And I just, I remember telling myself, like, I thought I'd be better at this. I thought that I would be more 
confident and I thought I would be a natural because I'd, I'd been in childcare for so long and I'd been an auntie since I was 12. I'd been around babies my whole life. And then I felt like I don't even know how to comfort my own newborn, um, which I think every, every mum has that for sure. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, now I know that, but at the time I didn't. Um, and again, I think just not having my sisters around, um, mum left when Louis was a few weeks old and then that was hard in itself because mm. mum had been there for four and a half months. Um, and she really is like my hero. So I was devastated that she was going and I didn't know when I'd see her again. Um, and then another one of my sisters came over as well with her husband and three children. They came to support me and my husband and my sister sat with me day in, day out um, by my side, helping me latch every single time. Um, just completely flipped everything around for me. Uh, we went away um, with them for a few days and Louis still hadn't put on weight. We went away on the Friday. I had another appointment on the Monday. And when I got back on the Monday, Louis had put on 400 grams in a weekend because my sister had just given her time to just sit with me and, and help me, me through it. And that sort of changed everything. I'll just be indebted to her forever for that. It was amazing, A, to get the breastfeeding right, finally, but B, just to have her there, like my sister um, from Australia. So from there on, I think things really turned around for us. Certainly still wasn't easy, but just I felt more capable and like I was getting to know him better. And that, that sort of a fog that had been around or lingering was sort of starting to lift. Um, and that allowed me to, I guess, concentrate more on the wonderful things that were happening every day rather than the, the challenging parts of every day. Um, yeah, so very grateful for her. If my sister hadn't have come over, I would have happily gone, all right, it's not going to happen for me and that's okay. Like I've given everything that I can. Yeah. Um, and I had said... And that would have been right for you probably to make sure that you stay healthy as definitely, well. Definitely, because I was getting down on myself about it. So, um, yeah, but not everyone can have a sibling that's done it before come and sit with them for, you know, days on end to, to help them turn it around. If, if I hadn't have had her, I just would have gone, okay, <laughs> I'm packing it in. I've tried my best. It's not happening. Um, but I'm, I'm very grateful that I was able to do it in the end. I'm actually still breastfeeding. He's 19 months. I'm still doing one feed in the morning with him now. I, was, I said I'd do it till 12 months, but we went to Australia in January. We took, um, my husband and I took Louis over to meet the rest of my family and we had a few weddings to go to and stuff. It was beautiful. Meant to go for six weeks, then COVID hit. So we were there for six months. Um, yeah, yeah. So I decide I, I always wanted to keep breastfeeding for the flight home because I was like, that's as a comfort thing. If he's losing his mind on the, the plane, it's going to be so good to be able to breastfeeding. 
So then when it kept getting pushed out, returning, I was like, well, I can't, I've got to keep breastfeeding. And we've been back about eight weeks now. Um, and I still haven't been able to drop. He, he, he forgets about it some mornings and I'm like, that's awesome. But then he comes back and I haven't got it in me yet to just give him a hard no. So, I mean, I'm happy. It took so long to get us on the right track with breastfeeding. So I think that's probably why I'm like, oh, look, he'll eventually drop this last short feed that he does in the morning. So we'll just ride the wave. And I mean, I'm not going to, he's not going to be doing it when he's four or something. Not that whoever wants to do whatever they want, that's fine. But I can't do that myself. So yeah, hopefully he, um, I just wanted him to choose to do it in his own time. I hope that he just eventually just goes, I don't need to do it anymore. We'll see. And have you found the past eight weeks? Have you found being back? Have you been able to, yeah, uh, meet up with friends? Yes. Or? Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing I was going to say that mother's groups were essential in those early days as well. Yeah. A, I made my own group of friends, which was awesome. Um, but B, just to, I think, vent with people that are going through this exact same thing at the exact same time. That's what also helped me get through those tough, um, you know, that fourth trimester or whatever they call it. So, yeah, since being back, I've got to catch up with all of them and their little ones as well, um, which has been great. I've really enjoyed that. Melbourne's in a really tight, strict lockdown. We got out of Melbourne just before that came into effect. So, And do you plan on returning to work now that you're back? No, no, I'm still um, off work. So um, I'm a writer. I was actually working for a company in Australia. So I'm lucky with them that I've got a second year of maternity leave, um, which is unpaid, but the job's still there at the end of it if I want it. So, yeah. So I've got like five more months. Um, but then I, I'm still like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I want to go back to work. I'm still trying to figure that out. At the moment, I don't like the idea of giving up this time with Louis. Like I just love every day with him. So um, that could change. And if it does, I'll go with that. But at the moment I'm really happy, you know, being a stay at home mum with him. So even telling the story tonight, like it's so vivid still, you know, I mean, I hope it always is. I hope it stays vivid forever. I loved it. Even though it was full on. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. You can pop me an email to irelandsbreadstories at gmail.com or you can find me on the website with the Instagram page, which I will include on the details of this episode. I look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.